This time the children are dismissed to their program. I love the beautiful reminders of, of the cross as we've worshipped together this morning. For those of you who have not been with us, we've been going through the book of Ezekiel, and uh, that's a crazy book, just FYI, uh, but so, so practical and so relevant. I don't know if you've ever uh, relied on something um, and it's let you down. Anybody have that experience? So... As you probably can guess, <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell a story about how that happened to me. And uh, a lot of you know that I love to ride bikes, and I have this collection, uh, you might say, of um, mostly hand-me-down bikes. And uh, uh, a while back when we were still living in San Diego area, Heather and I would like to ride over to the, the coast. And uh, I was riding one of these hand-me-down bikes, and uh, as we started back, we were going up a hill, and you know when you're going up a hill on a bike and you're kind of standing up on the pedals and uh, really sort of leaning into it, and uh, I was doing that, and the chain snapped. And it, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. It's super disappointing, and it takes a little bit of flesh off of your shins sometimes, and, and it, it just really takes the wind out of your sails, and you're still 15 miles from home, and uh, it was that, that kind of a day. The chain broke, uh, the shins hurt, and yet I had to carry on, but I no longer put my full weight on the pedals. Uh, I had a little uh, repair kit, so I kind of sort of fixed it, but, um, but for the rest of the ride, I just went low gear and just carried on and did not stand up on my pedals. Anybody else had a bike experience like that? Okay, so yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. As a... As a kid, uh, I relied a lot on my parents. Uh, my parents are both fabulous. They're the ones who uh, taught me uh, everything I knew in my early days. And in fact, my mom, when I, for graduation, she gave me this book that's um, this is reference book. And in the front of it, it says, in case there's anything I didn't teach you. Well, now there's the internet, so, um, but, uh, but before it was that book. Uh, my parents introduced me to Jesus and brought me to church. And, uh, and yet in my teenage years... Um, it was revealed uh, some really profound moral failures in my parents that felt like the chain broke. And it snapped and it hurt. And uh, I had to carry on, <laughs> but not with putting my full weight on them anymore. Because uh, things in life, whether they're bicycle chains or, or people or our health or whatever it might be, um, we can't rely on those things like we can on God. And sometimes when, uh, when things in life get, get crazy uh, or difficult or traumatic, we tend to want to run to things uh, and, and count on them instead of God. Some of those things are inherently problematic. <laughs> they, they are you know, sinful. They're destructive. And uh, of course, we shouldn't run there. Other things are good and wholesome, but they just can't bear the full weight that God can. But, but God can be fully relied on, and that's our big point today, is that you can fully rely on God. And God has this interesting way of dismantling those things that we place too much weight on. <laughs> and he, he's not being sadistic. Uh, he just gives us a little glimpse of how things uh, really are and, and invites us to come back and cling to him. Ezekiel 
vividly addresses uh, this universal problem. And this morning we'll be in uh, Ezekiel 29 to 32. I know it's another big section, so hang on tight. I'll try to do uh, quite a bit of summarizing. And it's right there in your Bibles to go back and read the whole thing in case you feel like you got cheated somehow. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some Bibles in front of you in the pews, and this is on page uh, 716 and following. So here's kind of the context of what is happening. Um, Ezekiel just finished this uh, series of messages against uh, all the nations that that surrounded uh, Judah, um, the the people, the Hebrew people. Uh, He talked about those uh, on the east um, and on the west uh, coast and those in the north, uh, Tyre and Sidon, and now Lebanon. And uh, he he had these messages against them. And then, uh, then he transitions and spends four chapters talking about the south. He's talking about Egypt. And he has just a ton of things to say about Egypt. So this, uh, this book was written to the exiles from Judah living in Babylon, kind of this, uh, this ragtag group of refugee people. Uh, and uh, God is giving these messages to Ezekiel to give to them. But the messages are to the exiles, but now about Egypt. Everybody tracking? All right. Some of you are. Uh, here's kind of the plan this morning. We'll answer these questions of what was uh, this message against Egypt? What, what was this all about? I'm going to kind of summarize these chapters. And then what was the allure of Egypt? What drew uh, the people of God to, to turn there in the first place? And what was the problem with relying on Egypt? This is the same uh, reasons that it's a problem for us to trust things other than God. So, so first, a summary of these chapters, the message against Egypt, uh, which is basically answering this question of why it is foolish to put your trust in something other than God. And the real simple answer, if I could summarize these uh, four chapters, is because uh, these things will fail you. And so he takes up a a big chunk of, uh, he spends a lot of ink saying that. And so in these uh, four chapters, there's seven uh, messages or oracles uh, from God given through Ezekiel to the people. Uh, Seven times, God uh, just breaks into time and space and gives these messages to Ezekiel to pass on to us uh, about Egypt. Uh, Most of these are dated, and you can kind of see they they span through the time that uh, Jerusalem is under siege. And so these ragtag exiles over in Babylon have got news that their hometown is being, uh, is being laid siege to, and uh, there's not be anything to go home to, and uh, that's when all these messages come. So, uh, just by way of summary, the, the first oracle, the first message comes in chapter 29, and it is essentially this. It's about Egypt's fault being exposed and about how Egypt will be judged. This message came actually in January of the year 587 B.C., just FYI. So this, uh, this section compares uh, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, to uh, this giant water uh, monster, uh, which is probably a crocodile, you know, the, the Nile. And, uh, and it starts off like this. Well, I'll start in verse 2. It says this, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, thus says the Lord God. 
And there's the message. Behold, I'm against you, Pharaoh king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his dreams, that says, my Nile is my own. I have made it for myself. The bold claims of the the king of Egypt. And if you were uh, here last week and hearing the message to the other nations, this follows the exact same template. Again and again, God says to these different uh, nations who who, uh, meant ill against his people, he says, because you, dot, 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 mistreated my people in some way, therefore, this is going to happen to you, and then ultimately, you will know that I am the Lord God. Same template, and we see it here again. Interesting in this section that God also promises to restore Egypt, but not to the same splendor that she once had. And, and of course, history reveals that. Uh, Egypt's glory days were prior to this event, and although Egypt's been around ever since, um, more or less, uh, never that much of a, of a dominating world power as they once were. Okay, uh, second section summarizes Egypt is going to suffer the same fate as Tyre. We just heard a whole bunch about Tyre and, and all the problems there, and uh, God says this. It's kind of this interesting um, a description of all these nations that God does. He says, he says to Babylon, uh, or about Babylon, he's like, Babylon, you're my tool <laughs> to, uh, to discipline my people, and uh, you didn't really get paid enough when you took over Tyre, so I'm going to pay you by giving you Egypt. Kind of, kind of interesting. Uh, when Babylon went and laid siege to Tyre, it took them like, more than a decade because Tyre's on the coast, and uh, they, had, they could supply from the water. And so when uh, Babylon finally uh, subdued and broke through the walls and took over Tyre, uh, there was really nothing left there. The people offloaded all the goods by sea, apparently. And so Babylon didn't get paid. And so God says, well, you didn't really get paid for your work there, so you're going to get paid by Egypt. It's just kind of this interesting thing that God is doing. That's in that section. Uh, third uh, message, Egypt... And Egypt's allies are going to be devastated. This is the next chapter, chapter 30. Just kind of a summary verse in verse 6. It says, Those who support Egypt shall fall, and her proud might shall come down. From Migdal to Cyrene they shall fall. And God goes and lists all the surrounding allies of Egypt and all these great cities of Egypt and says, here's what's going to happen to them. It's really kind of fascinating. The last half of, of uh, chapter 30 we get this message about uh, Egypt being uh, helpless in the day of Yahweh. And it describes Egypt having these two strong arms, and one gets broken, and then the other one gets broken. It's kind of these two uh, attempts to break off uh, what's coming from God and just like snap. And that happens in that chapter. Okay, you're still keeping up here, covering hundreds of verses. Um, and then the next message is kind of interesting because we talked about uh, Assyria a little bit last week. Assyria was probably the greatest nation known uh, at that time, um, but it had recently collapsed. And so uh, Ezekiel goes and he, he gives this elaborate picture of how glorious Assyria is, like this giant cedar that covers everything, is amazing, everyone's drawn to it. And then he kind of twists this around and says, you know, Egypt, are you comparing yourself to Assyria? You think you're that special? And look what happened to Assyria. So it's, it's, uh, you're going to meet the same fate. Are we on the sixth one now? 
The sixth one is this funeral song, a lament against uh, Pharaoh, verse 16 of, of chapter 32. It says, this is a lamentation, you know, like a funeral song that shall be chanted. The daughters of the nation shall chant it over Egypt and over all her multitude. They shall chant it, declares the Lord God. And then this final message, the last uh, half of, of, of chapter 32 which was received in March of 585. I always wonder these dates if my birthday is going to be on one of these special days, but um, this would be a sad one. Uh, at verse 18, uh, it's kind of the summary of this where we see Pharaoh is condemned to Sheol or the pit. It says, Wail over the multitude of Egypt and send them down, her and the daughters of majestic nations, to the world below, to those who have gone down to the pit. And in this section, it's kind of this it's kind of this morbid, sort of weird scene where, where Pharaoh is cast into uh, the netherworld, into the pit. And when he, when he gets there, all these other nations are, are already there. And uh, it's as if Pharaoh thought he was so special, but he's just lumped in with everybody else. And his only consolation is, well, at least I'm not the only one here. And it's kind of this, this weird scene in the pit. Okay, that's what happens in these, these four chapters. And I think if you crunch that down into one little thought is this. Why is it foolish to rely on something besides God? Uh, Because it will fail you. And time and time again, uh, the people of God ran to Egypt. They, uh, you know, Solomon made this alliance by, by marrying into Egypt. Um, when, they, when they got in a bind, they'd go and they'd, they'd want to get horses and chariots and backup and mercenaries from Egypt. And they'd constantly be running to Egypt and trusting in Egypt when things got tough. So why, I think, uh, is the question that we would like to ask. Uh, why did they do that? <laughs> why, maybe more importantly, why do we do that? Why do we run to other things? Why do we trust other things besides God? What lures us away from trusting fully in God? Uh, Years ago, I was reading some of uh, Dr. Larry Crabb. He's a Christian counselor. He's been around a long time. And he said after observing thousands of people in in, counseling scenarios, he said, he was realizing the underlying problem behind so many of these relationship issues and anxiety and fear and conflict is that people were seeking their significance, their security outside of God. God's the only one who can provide those things for us. And people were, were just dead-ending against all these things in their relationships because they were seeking, ultimately, what only God could give them. They were seeking that in other places. And so, uh, so what's in Egypt? What's so, so uh, alluring about Egypt? And several things. One is uh, Egypt was just powerful, strong. So when Israel's feeling weak, when Judah's feeling weak, they run to who has the chariots, who has the, the might, who has the power. They did this a, a number of times. It's easy for us to put too much confidence in strength, in power. That, whether that's, um, you know, our own just physical strength or it's in military power or it's in, you know, how many firearms we have or, you know, however you want to look at it, whether you're the biggest kid on the playground, whatever it might be, it's easy for us to put too much weight, too much reliance on power. 
it lures us away from trusting in God. Of course, we know that wealth is another one of those things that lures us away from, from trusting in God. Uh, Egypt was sought after for the wealth. You could see the allure there. Um, multiple times throughout this, this big section that I've referred to, um, we hear about Egypt's wealth. Uh, chapter 29, 19 says, and he shall carry off Egypt's wealth. The next chapter 30, verse 4, and her wealth will be carried away. Uh, chapter 30, verse 10, I will put it into the wealth of Egypt. The wealth, the wealth, the wealth, the riches of Egypt. You think the answer is in uh, the money? <laughs> you think the answer is in the wealth? And you keep running back there because it looks like that's your golden ticket? Uh, no, that is not going to do you well, in the end. Well, another thing I think that Egypt offered that, uh, that we seek out is, is this image or reputation. Um, we, we want to bank on, um, on the way that people view us. Whether that's, you know, being able to turn heads or, or that's being, you know, the smartest one or or being, you know, the cool kid, or whatever it might be. It might even be you want everyone to think of you as the spiritual person, and that's what drives you is others' perception of, of you religiously, maybe. There's lots of ways that we try to, um, we run to image, to reputation as, as a safe haven. That, that'll collapse. Uh, a couple other things that Egypt had to offer, um, the place of knowledge. When, uh, when God first chose a people uh, to do a special thing with, he chose Abraham. Uh, this kind of lone, nomad, um, wandering from home, no, no culture, no identity, uh, uh, you know, culturally or whatever. Um, at that time, Egypt was already well, well established. <laughs> uh, culture, uh, learning, education, all these things were happening in Egypt. And time and time again, people would return to the thought of Egypt and all they had to offer. Even after uh, Egypt's glory days, uh, after uh, the Greeks had done them damage, one of the greatest libraries in the entire history of the world uh, was in Egypt, right, in Alexandria, world famous. And so sometimes we tend to want to trust in our own degrees or our training or our certifications, or we lean way too heavily on the so-called experts. You know, somebody has a, a piece of paper or a, or a document or a badge or something, and we assume, like, okay, well, they, they know. And the final thing, I'm not saying these are the only things that lure us, but they're some of the top ones, and they're things true of Egypt. It's just pleasure. <laughs> um, Ezekiel gives us this picture throughout um, the book of Ezekiel about the pleasures of Egypt. In chapter 27, he talks about the luxurious fabrics uh, from Egypt. And in chapter 23, the sensuality of Egypt. And in chapter 31, how, how lushly fertile uh, Egypt was. Like, ah, this is just this is the, the life, you know, living alongside the Nile and, and all, all that plush. Imagine a hammock just hanging there between two no palm trees by the Nile. And this, this draws us. In, sometimes in difficult times, we want to run to escape in something that gives us pleasure. And this allure of Egypt is really 
strong. And it's the same things that tug us away from, entice us from totally relying on God, from fully putting our full weight on God. So is there something inherently wrong with power, wealth, reputation, knowledge, or pleasure? No. These, we might say these, these can be gifts from God. These are things God gives us. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with them. So I think our important question that we want to look at the rest of the time is, how, how do we know when this kind of reliance, this trust in other things, uh, is a problem? <laughs> how do we know when we've counted on that thing too much or in the wrong way or, or uh, we, when we've misplaced our reliance that really only uh, should be placed on God? And I want to suggest three things, and they're related to the problems that uh, are exposed in Egypt. So the problem with relying on Egypt, or, or maybe a better question is, how do we know if we are relying too much on other things? And here's the first uh, simple test. Misplaced reliance is a problem when we compromise God's commands. <laughs> okay, if you're uh, turning to something else in a way that is actually uh, sinful, um, it's very obvious that uh, you're trusting something else that, uh, other than God, and it's become a problem. Um, this is the number one problem, is that by running to Egypt, they are doing something that God just told them not to do. In Isaiah 31.1, the prophet says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt. So we don't really say woe a lot in that way, so it just means, you know, it's a really bad thing. Okay, it's a bad thing to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and who trust in chariots because they have so many and in horsemen because they're very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. So God had specifically told them uh, as a nation, don't go ally with Egypt when times get rough. I'll, I'll take care of you. So immediately... Uh, it's a red flag if the thing you're turning to is actually uh, against something God has said. So, for instance, if this reliance on wealth, you know, we want to lean on that, we want to uh, find uh, hope in that, we might say. If our reliance on wealth drives you to be dishonest, <laughs> like with your spouse or with the IRS or with your employees or your employer, if, you're, if your reliance on wealth drives you to be dishonest, then uh, your reliance is misplaced. You, you've obviously crossed a line and your trust is in the wrong place. If your reliance on a certain image drives you to slander other people, <laughs> like say, oh, look, they're like this, and you know this tries to make me feel better, or it's living this hypocritical life where you're not being honest, uh, you've obviously crossed over into a place where, um, where you're, you're in the wrong, misplaced reliance. If your reliance on power drives you to mistreat others, to be a bully. If your reliance on, on pleasure drives you to uh, immoral places or illicit relationships or, or in um, over-drinking or, you know, things that God has spoken against, you obviously know it's a problem. So misplaced reliance is a problem when we compromise God's commands. Oh, sorry, I forgot to give you that verse before. You'll recover. It's in your Bible. You can look it up. 
okay, if it's, if it's a sin, we know it, it's wrong and we shouldn't go there. But sometimes I think maybe often uh, it's not nearly as obvious if we're trusting something in, in the wrong way or too much. We're not talking about some kind of blatant sin or some kind of uh, known compromise, but there's other ways that it is a problem, our misplaced trust. And, and I want to just finish by talking about those two things. And these both relate to uh, the first message that God had from Ezekiel against Egypt. And it, it fits his template of, because Egypt is this and because Egypt is that, I have this against you. And uh, so we'll look at those two um, main complaints that God had against Egypt. And the first one is in chapter 29, verses 9 to 10. I know as we're jumping all around. This is the first because. Because, Egypt, you said, the Nile is mine, and I made it. Therefore, behold, I'm against you. And if you read through these four uh, chapters related to Egypt, you see time and time again uh, this really inflated uh, ego, these inflated claims of Egypt. Egypt made these big boasts, and Judah tended to uh, believe them and would run to them. Egypt boasted more than she could deliver. (laughs) So the second way that we know we have a misplaced reliance problem is uh, when we believe something will provide what only God can. The problem with the world's claims is that they are inflated. So you look at, for instance, advertisement. You know, this toothpaste will provide you uh, deep happiness. And it's just, it's just not true. Um, this gadget will provide you fulfillment. This security system will bring you peace. And on and on, the claims, they are just, uh, they're inflated. Here's, here's a big area where I think this, uh, we see this happen, is in the area of marriage. Marriage is, is wonderful, can I hear amen from the fifth row back there? Uh, that's right. Uh, marriage is, is wonderful, but you'll be uh, greatly disappointed if you're relying on your spouse to provide what only God can provide. The, the joy of the Lord, fulfillment, security, significance, meaning. Your, your spouse will never give you those things. You're, you're barking up the, the wrong tree. Uh, Financial prudence, that's a wonderful thing. You know, saving, you know, working hard, investing wisely. These are, these are wonderful things. But that nest egg will never provide what only God can provide. So the Pharaoh made these overinflated claims, and Judah was inclined to believe it. And God showed, he revealed the emptiness of it, popped the bubble. Uh, Solomon did this whole case study because he had the money and power to do it. He's like, well, I'm going to try everything and see, you know, if it brings me these things that only God can bring. I'm not sure you would have phrased it exactly like that. But he went through this process, Ecclesiastes, um, where he seeks out pleasure and he seeks out education and he, he built a lot of cool things. And, you know, he had women and power and money and all these different things. Um, and he comes to the conclusion that's in the beginning of the book. It says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Like, pursue all these things, and ultimately, it's like a bubble that pops. 
that was not nearly as awesome as, uh, as it claimed. So this misplaced reliance is a problem when we believe something will provide what only God can provide. So okay, here's our, our final accusation against uh, Egypt. Well, I may have done these out of order, but here, here's how I ordered them. Um, in chapter 29, verses 6 to 7, this is, this is actually the first because, and I have it the second here. Because, here's your problem, you have been a staff of reed to the house of Israel when they grasped you with the hand. You broke and tore all their shoulders. And when they leaned on you, you broke and made all their loins to shake. I know it's a little bit of a weird image there. Um, I think especially Ezekiel, when he talks about other nations, he loves to use images that refer to those nations. So, you know, all the reeds along the Nile. He's like, Egypt's like this reed, and you, you, you rely on it like a staff, but it snaps and it stabs you. That's what Egypt's been to you. That thing that you were trusting, it, it breaks, and you get deeply wounded. You get, you get destroyed because you lean so heavily on it. That, that old bicycle chain that should have been thrown away, you put your full weight on that, and uh, you paid for it when it snapped. So the problem with Egypt is uh, they weren't ultimately trustworthy. Uh, Judah would go down and make these alliances, and they'd kind of be in this, uh, this pack together, but then Egypt would bow out. They were sort of, uh, over centuries, they were uh, what you might call frenemies. You know, they, they kind of loved to hate each other. And uh, it was not a trustworthy relationship. So here's, here's the final indicator that you have misplaced reliance problem. Is when it's loss would mean lost hope. When you count on something to the degree that it's failure would undermine the state of your soul. <laughs> it's like you're, you're, putting, you're banking everything on this thing. If that's not God, then it's completely misplaced. And so sometimes we like to rely too heavily on our skills, on our looks, on our brain, on our money, our reputation, our relationships, in such a way that if we lost one of those things, it would be our utter ruin. Okay, I'm not suggesting that we, we live this really detached life where we're unaffected. You know, well, I won't get too close to people, and, and I won't, you know, count on anything. You know, whenever you sit down, you check your chair like 10 times to see if it's going to you know, hold you. I, I'm not talking about that. You know, we, uh, you, you keep pedaling, but you don't put your, your full weight on these things in life. And I'm also not suggesting that we don't grieve. We don't, uh, we can grieve deeply as Christians when we have deep loss, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. It's a different kind of thing when our full weight is on Jesus. Um, this became really uh, clear to me recently. Uh, some friends of ours, some of you know, uh, a couple that was in our small group uh, down in San Diego, their 13-year-old son uh, recently was diagnosed with leukemia. And it's just, um, you know, it's devastating for the family. Some things that, um, that Tim and, and Jenny, I think it's mostly Jenny, who wrote in the journal on Caring Bridge, speak to this very thing of where our real trust is. Uh, this is this is Jenny with her son, her son Caleb, uh, in the picture there. Uh, so in her journal entry, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Caring Bridge. Some of you, some of you are 
too familiar with CaringBridge? So after she expressed the very real feelings that well up uh, of, you know, the guilt or the anger, the fear, the pain, these things that, that just, you know, surface when we're dealing with something so overwhelming, uh, she transitions and she says this. But on these hard days, my mind always wanders to my faith. It wanders to God. The God who fights for me so I can continue to endure any hardship. Can't God relate to watching the suffering of a child? On the hard days, I hear God saying to me, Look up, child. Lift your face up off the bed. Don't drown in the fear and the guilt and the pain and the suffering, but dwell on what is true. Fix your eyes above and look up. And then she shares several verses of things that, um, that cannot be shaken, things that are true about God, the reasons we could put our full weight on him, and I'll just read, uh, just refer to three of them. First Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, it can never spoil, it can never fade. Whatever difficult thing we're facing, we can count on that with our full weight. She also listed uh, Matthew 6, uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This focus on where we can put our treasure uh, that won't be taken away, where we could lean with our full weight. Uh, another one that, that Jenny mentioned in Philippians 3 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. These are things we can uh, count our eternity on. We could rest our full weight on that are not shaken by life's experiences. Uh, Tim and Jenny, they're, they're leaning on uh, doctors' expertise. They're leaning on medicine. They're leaning on their Christian friends and family. They're leaning on each other, but they are relying on putting their full weight on God. And that's the place we need, need to come. And we always want to run back to Egypt and, and all that Egypt has to offer, I'm speaking metaphorically. We always want to run to these other things that we trust when only God can be fully trusted. So like this bike with this fragile chain, uh, we carry on even when difficult things happen. We put one foot in front of the other. We try to make wise decisions. We try to leave, uh, live diligent lives. We engage in relationships, but we don't put our full weight on these things, but on God alone. And so our challenge just in a few words is simply lean fully on Jesus. Put your full weight on on Jesus, because uh, that is unshakable. He will not let us down. He will not leave us. He won't forsake us. He'll start what he, he'll finish what he started, and on and on and on. That we can trust in. So as the, the team comes back just to, to lead us in a final song, let me pray for us. Lord God, we are so thankful, especially when life is difficult, we're thankful that you are the rock. 
that could bear the full weight of all of our concerns. You are powerful, you are kind, you are, you are good, you are wise, and we can, we can trust in this. God, I pray for, for those in the, this room right now who, um, who, who are just faltering and, and struggling because of life's difficulties and everything in them wants to run to, to places that won't ultimately help. I pray that we would all run to you and run into your arms and place our full confidence in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.